Hello, Biblio friends and fiends. Uh, this is the start of part four of No More Heroes, and this is the final episode in the miniseries? Yeah, miniseries sounds right. It just drops at the beginning of the very next story where part three left off, so we're just gonna get right into it. I hope you enjoy. Content warning. On this podcast, we discuss sensitive issues, including but not limited to swearing, tasteless jokes, mentions of drug use, and situations of a sexual nature. This podcast is not intended for children. This one, this is a gem. Mm-hmm. This It's called the B-Team. Mm-hmm. I... It, it, it's meant to be funny, and he tries a little too hard. But it's written from the perspective of Mervyn, who's a black guy. And I'm pretty sure it was written by a black person, mm-hmm. and then so that their jokes are culturally appropriate and funny, mm-hmm. it feels like it is written true. Yeah. Um, so there are semi-racist jokes, but... They're in good taste. They're in better taste. Yeah. And it is meant, it is pretty funny. So he lives in Detroit, and it has been burnt out, burned down, everyone's fled. So I think this is pretty much reflecting the recession in 2008. Mm-hmm. And Detroit really suffering really right. badly with the car manufacturers and all that stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it really pulls you in, and he works at a convenience store, he has a one-room apartment. His life sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's just working day-to-day just to get by. Right. He's woken up by a short, skinny guy named Cornelius, a.k.a. Cookie Crumbler. Uh, okay. So he goes to the door. Cookie Crumbler is the short, skinny white guy with like pale, pale blonde hair. Mm. And Marvin is a black guy with black hair. So they're the opposites in the color is set up. Marvin's the chocolate chip and Cookie Crumbler is the dough? You beat me to it. No. <laughs> <laughs> that is a consistent joke. <laughs> So Cornelius wants Mervyn to do a job in Canada with him. Sorry, I, I don't want to interrupt, but you know what would have been a cool wrinkle for one of the earlier stories? Uh, if Cookie Crumbler had like a, a black eye or something like that from uh, Dr. Pustule stealing his recipe for uh, Worm Woman. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty <laughs> That would have been nice. <laughs> so, no, it's not blowing up a warehouse full of Girl Scout cookies. That was last time. Hmm. Cookie Crumbler is obsessed with cookies. Everything is a pun around cookies. Oh, no. Cookies. He is always snacking on a bag of cookies. When he knocks someone out, he throws the bag at them. Here, have a cookie. Like, that is his shtick, and it is strong through the whole story. (laughs) Quote from him about the Girl Scout cookies debacle. Wenches deserve it. Mine are called tiny breads, and superior to the work of those green-clad cultists. So he is competing with their shortbreads and he wants to destroy the Girl Scouts. Huh. <laughs> because he wants to run his own cookie empire and he has it out for every other cookie company. In okay, the world. so he's not like a cookie cultist. He's more like a cookie capitalist. Yeah. He must gotcha. be the king of cookies. Yeah. It doesn't do to just spread the, the good word of cookie. You uh-uh. have to spread his mm-hmm. cookies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Mervyn doesn't want to help, but Cornelius offers him 10 grand. And for somebody working in a convenience store, living in a one-room apartment, mm-hmm. driving a junker, that's a pretty attractive offer, yeah. especially in 2008. So he's like, ah, uh, fine. So Cornelius owes the league millions of dollars in dues because suddenly, instead of just being a group of villains, they require 
you to actually be in their union and pay dues and follow them and listen to them, and they have become organized. Hmm. So Mervyn is glad that he didn't join the League because he would owe them millions now, too. But the League has said to Cornelius, you can keep ten grand for your own expenses. Mm-hmm. And he's giving it to Mervyn to pay him to help him do the gig. Right. So the League gave info about a huge cookie company with elves that live in a tree, if that's any hint. <laughs> that's closed its bank accounts and put all of its cash into a vault at its office. Because they know his shtick and they're like, yeah, go knock down this company and take their cash. Mervyn agrees to help. So the next night, he dresses all in black, and Cornelius shows up all in white. Like a black and white cookie. <laughs> or chess pieces. Or milk and ori. Oh. <laughs> that's cut off. <laughs> that's uh, not, a, not a joke no, allowed to go there. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh. So they're playing it up for all it's worth of mm-hmm. the, the black and white, the cookies. Right, yep. Yep. And apparently, as a kid... Uh, Mervin was teased about being chocolate chip at Oreo and all these things for being so dark. Mm-hmm. And that was like a thing that is just part of his backstory. Gotcha. So they get across the Canadian border with bribes and uh, they're driving like like an old minivan. Um, Cornelius told Mervin there's only one security guard. And when they get there, they see him driving a, a golf cart. So he revs the van and knocks him over and he's just crumpled up inside the golf cart. <laughs> the mangled security guard just bleh. he's like have a cookie and throws it at the security guard so he's taken care of <laughs> just does a hit and run on this guy he's like he still has to do his bit he still has to do his cookie bit <laughs> yep so they go to the front door and that was all the security the one security guard the one security guard to protect the keyboard elves to protect their millions in assets because all the banks are closing and so they pulled all their cash out and it's in a vault mm. da, 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 da. the Canadian shows up a tall, muscled, square-jawed do-gooder do-do-do-do who can shoot lasers out of his hands. The Canadian? The Canadian. That is his name. The, the Canadian what uh, that, that girl killed her family about? I guess. Great. She could have. They just could have said his name was the Canadian. Because that's apparently his name. They just had to be, They like, just had super to be coy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But now we meet him. Here he is. Great. His, his all tall, handsome, square-jawed, whatever. So Cornelius starts taunting and teasing the Canadian. And then tells Mervyn, use your powers. Mervyn has the power to make any liquid lukewarm. <laughs> I, I guess if you were creative, that could be an interesting power. So, he makes the water in Canadian's eyes lukewarm. And the Canadian yells, Ah! That's mildly annoying! (laughs) That's pretty funny. (laughs) Because he's Canadian and polite and he can't say anything. Uh. Too strong. (laughs) That made me laugh multiple times. (laughs) That is mildly annoying. So Cornelius is jumping around, dodging Canadian's blows, and Mervyn does his power again. Cornelius circles around Canadian, who is infuriated at this point, Mm. and he throws himself bodily as hard as he can at Cornelius. Cornelius falls flat on his back, and the Canadian blasts through the front door, the office, and the vault with his body and his laser hands. And he knocks himself out, going through three concrete walls. That's a pretty so, stupid way to knock yourself out. Yeah, but that's how Cornelius was planning on getting inside of the vault. It was a setup. Uh, okay, that's so stupid, it's smart. Yep, <laughs> yep. So Mervin, uh, Mervin and Cornelius load up the van with millions of dollars in cash and head home. 
Cornelius tells Mervyn, or talks Mervyn into joining him as a sidekick, and Mervyn chooses the name Chocolate Chip. They go off to rob many more bakeries. The end. <laughs> a plus plus plus. I loved it. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> if you're comparing to all the other stories in the one, yeah. this was a bright, shining light of fun. Someone who understands comedy. Comedy, timing, and it was just fun. Hmm. We don't deal with any pedos. We don't deal with suicide. We don't deal with any of these awful, dark, gritty stuff. Yeah. This is just a lighthearted, fluffy, fun little story. Yeah, when you put it like that, that does sound pretty great. And since we're getting toward the end of the book, hmm. I was I was struggling to find and a reason this to keep one, going. <laughs> yes. And I kept hoping for more like this, you mm. know? And this one was really easy to just take the notes. Everything is said, what happens. Mm. Everyone is named. We get bits of backstory, but nothing too deep. Mm. Um, and then the reveal of his powers, and it, it was pretty funny. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Okay, up next we have Malady's End, and it's named after um, Dr. Malady, our protagonist. Mm. So we're following his perspective, and he has just spent six hours getting scanned and questioned by Nike. Mm. We've seen her in previous stories, before being allowed to enter the Protector's headquarters and meet St. North. Mm -hmm. So the Protectors are just a group of heroes who have kind of banded together to try to fight the League of Doom. Mm -hmm. This universe's version of the Avengers, yeah? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, so whereas all of the, you know, villains can just run around wrecking havoc and having fun, the mm -hmm. protectors are trying to actually fight back against them. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to be more, you know, tight-knit and run everything. Mm. So uh, Dr. Melody finally gets to talk to St. North, and he tells him about a secret bunker in the Rockies. It's a mile down in the stone. Mm -hmm. And um, inside of this bunker are stored the DNA samples from several superheroes who died during the Calamity, mm -hmm. including, including the Guardian. Malady wants to go there, get the samples, and clone the heroes. Mm -hmm. So they don't really trust him mm -hmm. because he isn't part of the Protectors. I think he's supposed to be a hero in general in this world, mm -hmm. or he's been kind of neutral, but they don't trust him. I mean, I wouldn't trust Ollie North either because, uh, I mean, he sold all those weapons to the, the Iran-Contra. No, they don't trust Malady. St. North doesn't uh, trust Malady. I'll, I'll edit that out because <laughs> I just totally misunderstood that. Yeah. So, yeah, so the protectors don't really trust Malady because um, he's been neutral mm -hmm. or maybe a hero and kind of done random stuff. Right. We don't really get much of his backstory. But he is a doctor who's, like, super smart and was mm -hmm. previously, like, a biologist or something. Mm -hmm. um, so he knows about this place, and it was there before the cataclysm. Mm -hmm. So St. North agrees to help Malady get the samples, and he sends Bahal and Miram... <laughs> To go with Melody to get the samples. Mm -hmm. So we met Bahal in um, JJ's story. Right. Miss Bahal. Miss Bahal. He's my favorite character. Yeah. So he is able to, like, tunnel down to this bunker that is, like, like they have to tunnel the mile down. Mm -hmm. It's buried or something. And Miram has, like other powers. So Melody knows that they're going with him to supervise, mm -hmm. but also if anything happens, they'll be there to protect the samples. Mm -hmm. So they go to the Rockies and Bahal is able to get them down to the bunker, but he can tell that there's been somebody else there already. And he's like, well, how could you tell? All the dirt looks the same. And he says, there's two directions to get to this bunker. <laughs> Like, you can come up from below? Uh, okay. Yes? Okay. So I mean, they go in, but a monster with all of these superhero DNA samples is lodged in its chest. It's a creature that's, like, just gelatinous, 
or something, and it's just rampaging. It's like if you attached lasers to a goat and stabbed him, and he just was running around going, nah, 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 nah. Hmm. <laughs> That's this thing is just enraged and using its powers randomly. Mm-hmm. Whack. Yeah. So Melody uses his force fields to protect Bahal and Miram because he has these like bubble things he can create and they go around things Hmm. so he can have like a bubble of protection around like him and he has ones around his eyes and he can put them around people so they're trying to like stop this creature from running around they're trying to get the samples back Mm -hmm. and it's just going nuts and shooting lasers and jumping all over the place and flying and because it has every hero's dna so it has every hero's abilities right someone new shows up black empty uh I knew it. This entire thing has been a dream up to this point. (laughs) Your favorite villain. (laughs) But uh, Black Empty keeps a close eye on invulnerable heroes like Miram and Bahal. Uh And so he was able to keep track of their whereabouts, saw they were in the Rockies. So he shows up there to find out what they're doing. Uh Malady uses his force field to shove Black Empty into the creature. So... (laughs) That doesn't sound like a good idea. It tortures the creature, Uh which starts shrieking and screaming. But also, it's shooting off all these random lasers and fire and fighting, and that hurts Black Empty. Okay. So, this thing now has teleport powers and teleports away from Black Empty. Mm -hmm. Everyone is afraid that they're, like conglomeration of creatures and and Black Empty are going to, like, explode. So, they all three run away. The creature then explodes. <laughs> that entire thing was a, a shot in the dark. Number one, there's no way that Mallory could have known what was going to happen when he shoved black empty, black empty into the creature, or vice versa. It could have exploded instantly for all he knew. So Mallory uses his force fields mm. to capture eight samples of DNA from the exploding creature. Convenient. Yes. Now black empty wants the samples. But Melody pulls out a contraption that disrupts field harmonics and sends Black Empty back to his home dimension. Why would it do that? He is a super, super smart genius who built this, who assumed that Black Empty would be there, and he foresaw everything because he's the smartest boy. Best boy. He's the best boy. Uh, He's the bestest best boy. Yep. So, (laughs) Bahal and Miram disapprove of him sending Black Empty to his native dimension. Why? Because you're wrecking, letting him go wreck havoc where he originally came from. You're sending yeah. the problem to, away to someone else. You guys already didn't have a solution to him. <laughs> exactly. That, it's, he spent 4,000 years torturing humanity, Yeah. This as we is, learned in part one. This is a carbon neutral solution, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. So, he, uh, so they also wanted to know why he had brought this contraption. And he explained his reasoning that Black Empty would be noticing the League members and would show up. And so he just was able to foresee everything except the creature that absorbed the DNA. Yeah. He didn't know that was going to happen. So but he, he knows of, everything else. A bunch of contrived bullshit. Yeah, yeah. very much so. So um, they're like not happy that he wasn't a team player. He didn't tell him tell them his plans because it's like, well, join the protectors, but we don't trust you. But okay, you did this good thing, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> So, St. North allows the cloning to begin on the eight samples. Go back to the lab. Malady's in charge. They don't trust him, so they're just watching him. But he's the super genius who knows all this stuff. Great. Malady is very excited. So, I'm going to quote the ending of the story. Mm -hmm. 
It might take months, but soon he'll live again. The Guardian, the greatest of the heroes. Mm -hmm. And we'll be able to conclude our battle that was interrupted by his call to Australia and find which of us is the best. The Guardian, the world's most powerful superhero, or Dr. Malady, the planet's most intelligent and well-prepared superhuman combatant. Such as Batman v Superman. And the whole thing was to create the Guardian again so he could fight him again. Yeah. The only point of bringing him back was to have a fist fight. The end. Great. Yep, the end. So you're like, he's like just making a baby so he can punch it. And the idea is that the DNA will have the memories and abilities, so whatever they clone will become that exact person again. Sure, why not? Because in this world, that's how it works. Yeah, why wouldn't it? Yeah. Cloning definitely works that way. Mm-hmm. And doesn't take years to make some pretty mm-hmm. an adult. Yep. No. This poof will have a grown-ass guardian angel slash mm-hmm. extraterrestrial? Yep. I don't know. Yeah, it was. it's, it's fine. It's whatever. It's like a C plus. Yeah. I don't care. In reality, what would happen, the guardian would live... Uh, most likely a third of its natural lifespan and die of cancer. (laughs) (laughs) From what I know about epigenetics. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, you know what won't clone you and make you... You cannot promise that. You cannot (laughs) promise that, Bam Bam. These sponsors will definitely clone you and then fight your baby. Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. uh... Creating our future together. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hello, Biblio freaks, geeks, and lovers. Bugs here with a couple of notes. We have a Patreon where every month we focus on a bad book, bad movie combo. Please leave comments and suggestions on our Facebook page or email us at bibliorex at gmail.com. That's spelled B I B L I O W R E C K S at gmail.com. We are on all the socials, at Bibliorex. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you are enjoying these bad books as much as we are. Welcome back to the Clone Bibliorex. I'm Clone Bam Bam. And I'm Clone Bugs. I'm still a baby. Uh, (laughs) Someone's got to punch that baby. (laughs) I mean, why would you clone a superhero if not to punch them? I mean, yeah. I mean, why, why else? Why else? I ask you, Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. So this final story, Dove Without Wings, mm. is the last story in the in the um, anthology, mm-hmm. and I find I find it very frustrating that it's at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. I'll get to it, but the placement of this story at the end is nonsense Mm -hmm. utter nonsense so we meet zen dr zenaida m dove and the whole story we just call his name is zen everyone calls him zen Mm -hmm. he was one of the greatest human allies to the protectors before the cataclysm Mm -hmm. so when they were this big organization who had the guardian and all these superheroes he was like this scientist guy who did work with them So if they needed technology, if they needed math done, whatever, he was like their human come help us pet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was Alfred, I guess. <laughs> okay. Basically. Yeah. Um, so we come to him standing on a sidewalk in the rain next to a road. A car flies by and splashes water all over him. He's standing there waiting to be kidnapped or assassinated, dematerialized. He doesn't know. He's just standing there waiting. Hmm. None of those happen. He gets paralyzed by Dark Fairy and falls over on his back. 
he gets picked up by Chaos Boy and Mantis and taken to Evil Penguin and Lord Astral. Do we know Lord Astral? I don't remember. He was very briefly in the Gunpowder Plot 2000. He's only briefly described physically, so I'll do that now. Okay. He is a humani- humanoid crocodile. <laughs> Wait, what was his name again? Lord Astral. He's a humanoid crocodile. Stands on his feet. Um, so he's a crocodile what got turned human, not a human that got turned into a crocodile. He's a human from or he he's a he's a he he's a critter from outer space. He's from an, an alien planet. Okay. And he wears a robe, uh, and he is Lord Astral. You cannot shorten his name. He is. Uh, Lord Astral. Yep. Sure. Yep. So they're ta- he's taken to this lair. Chaos Boy, I didn't mention him before because mm-hmm. he was not important. Mm-hmm. But when Goatman showed up in Kansas, he was brought there by um, like Purple Lickin and Chaos Boy. He was brought, they materialized the portal that he stepped through from London and showed up in Kansas. Okay. It utterly didn't matter. Right. So I skipped it. Yeah. Part for the best. But now we're at Chaos Boy. He is able to change, like, he can, like, open holes in the ground and make people, like, fall into them and disappear or make things shake. And he does, can do magic. But his powers are never really, like, laid out. Yeah. And he's more of, like, a sidekick kid who goes and does stuff with other bad guys. He sounds like he's got acme powers. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, take the hole off the wall and throw it on the ground and then. Yeah, that's him. That's him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Please continue. So, Mantis, we haven't met him. He mm. is a tall humanoid praying mantis who can't speak. Mm. And he's an alien from another world. Um, Dark Fairy is also from another world. She is an alien fairy. An alien? And Evil Penguin is a human sized penguin who is evil and is also from another planet. Great. <laughs> It matters. This matters. It's a setup, man. It'll pay off. I oh, promise. All these aliens. All these aliens. Okay. Okay. So they're surprised that Dove cooperated. Oh, I wrote his name as Dove. Zen. I'll interchange Zen and Dove. Okay. Sorry. Because it's just in the story, they kind of go back and forth over mm-hmm. and over between Dr. Dove, and Zen, Zen yeah. Zenida, Dove. I think in my notes, I mostly wrote Dove. Yeah. That's fine. Um, but Dove seems resigned to his defenseless human status. All the protectors are gone. All the heroes are dead. It's just him. He's working as a college professor in a local school as a mathematician. Mm-hmm. So he is a maths teacher and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So he's just kind of like, eh, I don't want to help you. But Astral reveals their plan. They want to return to their planets. They want to leave. They're sick of Earth. They're sick of the League of Doom and the protectors. And they're just ready to go home. Mm-hmm. So he's like, huh, League of Doom would have five less people going around tormenting everyone. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good deal to me. What do I have to do? Well, Dove is a super math genius. <laughs> and they have some device that they can use to open portals that will send them home. I'm going to do a predict. Uh, is he going to open up the portals? And instead of them going through their portals back to their home planets, they're going to bring... Uh, warriors or whatever soldiers from their worlds to Earth. You can hang on to that. Okay. I won't reveal. All right, great. <laughs> it, it does have a it does do a surprise portal ending. Okay. So you got you got some good instincts there. Gotcha. 
Um, and this is where I had to research fractal geometry. Uh, why? Because they use lots of science words and something called Julia sets and Mandelbrot sets. And I have not taken that kind of higher math, so I had to look it up. I think brats are hot dogs. No, Mandelbrot sets. <laughs> <laughs> it's some kind of 3D geometry where you put in all these numbers and codes, and he's going to use it to figure out exactly where their home planets are by using their memories, and then use it to create these portals. I will believe whatever you tell me for us that's to get through. That's what the story is telling me. That's just what, the, that's the setup. He, and he's smart enough, he can do the math to make their machine that they just have. Fantastic. Make it work. Okay. So after going down that math detour and then coming back, mm. Astral, Lord Astral, offers Dove a pack of papers. And these papers are on pustule. And they are supposed to be enough to destroy the League. So this is like all the details that Lord Astral, who is like up there with like Astral and Pustule are both like the heads of the league or something because they were working together mm -hmm. in the Gunpowder 2000 plot. Right. So he knows everything on Pustule and he's like, I will give you this packet of papers, everything I know about him. And you can have that if you help us do this. Mm -hmm. Sweeten the deal. Yep. But you can't have it until we get through our portals. Mm -hmm. So they, this guy hates the villains, and so he's like, sure, fine, that's whatever, okay. So he's working on their machine in between teaching college classes. At college one day, Kyle, his thesis advisee, wants to know where Dove has been. And so Dove admits to working for the powers that be, which is the code for the League, mm -hmm. and Kyle gets really excited and nervous. Dove explains the deal and what he's having to build, and Kyle admits to knowing a superhero who actually had survived the Cataclysm. Mm -hmm. So you can tell from this point, the story is being written right after the Cataclysm, and nobody knows heroes have survived at all. That's weird. Like, it's been well established through all the stories so far. That there are superheroes still alive. Yeah. And the reasoning for each of them surviving. Okay. So Dove didn't know there were any superheroes still around. Mm -hmm. So this is set like immediately after the cataclysm. Mm -hmm. And he just went back to his human job doing teaching at college and trying to keep a low profile and gets yanked by these villains to send them home. Mm. That's so weird. Like, wouldn't that smell a little fishy? Like right after all the heroes are dead, these five well-known villains just walk up to you and just like, hey, you know how all the heroes are gone? <laughs> Well, it's not. We, we got to go home now. Mm -hmm. We're tired of just being the only villains in the world yeah, who can get whatever we want and take anything we desire. <sighs> Great. Yeah. So Kyle is the one who is part of the underground superhero, like, like we will rebel, we will fight back league thing. And he's just a human. But he knows a superhero who survived mm -hmm. and who is trying to gather uh, people to help fight back. It's Nike, the Golden Angel. Great. Nike's still alive. Fantastic. Kyle wants to get her involved to destroy the five villains who want to go home. Dove reluctantly agrees. He tells Kyle the location and day that he's going to open the portals. Mm -hmm. So they pick this spot out by a lake that has a big flat area so they can do this magic with this machine, hook it up to a generator, whatever they gotta do. So um, Dove is gathering all the rest of the memory data from the individual people and then inserting that data into the machine. So he's like got those electrodes on their heads and he's just pulling information or whatever. And Dark Fury is 
playing like word games and like rhyming words and rhyming games. And she wants to know why Dove is sad. Zenaida Macrora is the same words that mean morning dove. So Zenaida Macrora Dove means morning dove. And they realized that this was a fake name all along. Dove is not his real name. He was somebody else. So they leave him to do his work and they kind of go out and chat among themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we're this close to getting home. Well, we know now he was double-crossing weirdo who lied about who he was, Mm -hmm. but we might as well just get through with this and get us home and he can still do it. But we're not giving you the packet of info until you walk us through each portal. Mm -hmm. So you have to come with us because you might be trying to throw us into who uh, who knows where. Mm Fine. He's like, fine, whatever. I will walk you in if that's what you need. I will hold your hand. Okay. Mm. So Chaos Boy wants to know, why mourning? Why are you a mourning dove? Why are you sad? It's, it was Dove's son. Dove's son was a brilliant art major. He graduated and had taken, he had taken a great job in Australia. Mm. So he had changed his name and all this stuff had happened after the cataclysm. Because the cataclysm was Australia. Mm-hmm. So he had enough time to build a new identity after the cataclysm and be working with this name at this school or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's before we know that there's superheroes in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Chaos Boy admits that uh, Lord Astral wants him to disrupt the Julia sets so no one can follow them. Mm-hmm. He's like, Chaos Boy, you'll be the last one through. You can do your vibration magic powers so that it breaks the machine and no one can come after us and no one can come back through. And... Uh, Dove asks, that doesn't affect me right. I'll be back by then. Because he's like, I don't want to get stuck in one of your worlds. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cast Boys goes, well, it might be if that packet of info is empty. And it might be because Astral doesn't like you. So Chaos Boy doesn't think that the packet of info and postural is real. Mm-hmm. And Dove replies, the packet doesn't need to be real. It just needs to look real. Yeah. So, to, so there's more fuckery. There's more setup. Yep, okay. this is, this is setup. So it's important. Gotcha. So we go to the lake, and Dove is getting everything ready to go. He's turning on the machines, and five portals open. One for each of the villains who are leaving. Chaos Boy is going to be the last one through, and he has the packet of info on Pustule. He'll give it to Dove once he's gone through. A huge blast of energy knocks everyone down. Nike is here to save the day and kill the villains. Astral squares up for a fight. Thank you for bringing them, Nike says. It is inaccurate to say I brought them. Actually, dear hero, you're the one I worked so hard to bring here today. Or do you not remember me? Oh, is he Crisis? Think hard. We only met once. You told me I raised a fine boy. That was right before you sent my son to work in a museum in Australia. <laughs> what? What's happening? There's no. What? Who is this man? He. he uh... <laughs> Is there nothing else? Does he? There's, I mean, there's a little more, but that's not it. That, that's the explanation. Nike is shocked and tries to make excuses. Like, I didn't mean for your son to die. I didn't mean for anything of any of this to happen. So she remembers meeting him and his son and recommending his son get a job at a museum in Australia because she's the one who had gotten her powers from that Grecian urn in 
uh, Glasgow at that museum. So okay. that's apparently her hobby is museums. Okay. And this kid was a brilliant art student who got this great job at this museum and then got blown to smithereens at the cataclysm. Okay. So apparently he Dove knew all along that Nike was alive and this was the best way to get a hold of her was to offer to send five villains home. <sighs> and he says, if you left my son alone, he'd be alive now. Know what I've decided? I'm going to bring you within inches of your enemies and then let them escape. That's his revenge on her. <laughs> You'd think Nike would be happy that these five villains are leaving Earth and never coming back. Yeah. Is that... No, no. No, that's not what she wants. She wants to fight him. She okay. wants to beat him. Okay. Nike is outraged, but Dark Fairy paralyzes her. So she falls over and is taken out at this moment. Dove turns to the five and tells them to go on. Go get in your portals. Goodbye. Go home. So four go in, and then Chaos Boy hands over the papers. Make sure to disrupt the equations once you're through. Give me about a minute. So Chaos Boy is going to destroy the portal machine in one minute from going through the portal. Okay. Okay. It matters. It's important. Okay. Just, just hold on. Okay. Just hang on. I'm, I'm for it. I'm, I'm here for it. Dove then opens a new portal, and Nike comes around and is able to stand back up. It's a portal to a void. A just, just an empty nothingness. So it's a portal to the void. This is where I'm going to seal you away forever, and you are going to jump in. I didn't kill your son, she cries. I know, but I need to blame someone. Pay attention. <laughs> that like, was a quote from him. Like, I yeah. just need to blame someone. He's like, I know it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's, that's his reasoning. Glad, glad he knows that his reasoning doesn't make any sense. Yep, he's just going to punish her, but okay. Great. Pay attention. This is a very special envelope. It was my reward for opening the portals. It contains Astral's info on Pustule. It's enough to defeat the League. You don't want it trapped in the void with me. Come and get it, hero. Dove drops backward into the void, and Nike throws herself after him into the void, grabs the pack, and hurls it back to Earth before the portal closes. And then Chaos Boy breaks the Julia sets, and Nike and Dove are locked away in the void. Kyle, the college student, finds the scene of this the next day, and he finds a packet of papers on the grass. He goes through dozens of empty pages, except on the last page that says, Dove, your son isn't dead. The end. I mean, it's like, it's the most ridiculous Greek tragedy, mm -hmm. is what this is like. But... They're trying so hard to give intense emotional motivation, and none of it matters. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense that Nike would go in. Like, what? I can't. I can't. I know. It, it was, I'm, I'm brain it was dead. Baffling. That's the end of the book. Oh, that is the end gosh. of the short stories. That's how the book ends. So, this happened right after the Cataclysm. Right. Nike so is lost in the void. These so she, five villains are gone before so, anyone knows there's heroes. So all the other Nike stories had to have happened prior to this. Yep. 
when she was out openly fighting people on the Thames right. and and fighting crisis at a cafe. I think the easiest solution to this is that one line had to be just confused or like a lie or something like that because he would have had to know that Nike was still around to make this plan. Right. So if he was unaware of that, then he wouldn't have done all this rigmarole. Right. So that part could be, you know, an untrustworthy narrator. Yeah. But Kyle is this innocent bystander who is like, I know a superhero is still alive. Shh, don't tell anybody. I really shouldn't tell this to you Mm because no one knows. Nike is still alive. She's still around. So in this setup, in this story... He just decides to alley-oop it and be like, I'm going to kill the superhero too. (laughs) So in this story, they actually do end things. They kill people. They Mm -hmm. send people to their alternate dimension. So it has to be at the end of the book. But if you follow the timeline and exactly what's happening, this mm-hmm. happened before all these other stories. Yeah. But they can't have because Nike was there to do them in these other stories. Right. So I don't understand why this one is in the book at all. Its placement at the end of the book is nonsense. And if it's at the beginning, you have to cut out three other stories. Yeah. They should have just cut this one. It, 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 it was pointless. To get rid of these heroes and villains, even at the end of the book, doesn't yeah. make sense in relation to the other stories. I mean, this had to be... They had to have felt that this was powerful to want to end on this note. Right. And I can't imagine anyone reading this and giving a shit besides just feeling cheated. I just felt so confused because I was like, wait, where in time am I? Yeah. Because some of the stories don't express what time, how long after the cataclysm Right, because it's an an anthology. It's not supposed to be... Right. It's not supposed to be linear or so dependent on each other. Right. I've like, never read stories that were even okay. You go and you watch Doctor Who. Yeah. You can pick up almost any episode in a single season and watch it on its own, mm-hmm. and it won't matter if you miss the previous two episodes, right. unless it's a two-parter. Mm-hmm. They're all independent on their own. Mm-hmm. The none of these are really independent on their own. You have yeah. to know the entire story. Like they want to do their own thing, but also lean on each other too. Like that's the worst of both worlds. It really is. It was so badly done. Oh, so gosh. so badly done. You know what turns my liquids lukewarm? Oh my god. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. These, these ads. No. These ads I refuse. Make my liquids really warm. Jay, no. <laughs> Hello, fellow bibliofreaks. Bam here. I just wanted to mention our Patreon bonus content that we have lined up for you. In September, we will be watching and reading Aragon for a bad book, bad movie bonus episode. And whatever the community suggests for us. At $1, you are buying us a soda and the wonderful feeling of collaboration in our efforts to create this community. At $5, you get the bonus bad book, bad movie episode as well as early ad-free release of all our episodes. The $10 tier gives you the bonus ad-free content as well as show notes and a chance to hang out with us on Twitch every month. Thank you for listening. Let's get back to that bad book. So my liquids are so warmed now that we've had those ads. This is just going to drive away our entire, <laughs> our entire audience. Uh, but we'll keep the best parts of our audience, which is what we really want. The mm. appreciation for warm liquids. But they're not even warm. They're like... Okay, never mind. Moving on. <laughs> you said there was an epilogue? So the, we get to the epilogue. We are in Australia, in the outback, with J.J. Brownlee and Stand Up Guy. Mm-hmm. Stand Up Guy is a... Comedian? Comedian. Okay. A comedian bad guy. No, a comedian good guy who makes bad jokes. 
What year did The Watchmen come out? I actually don't know. 2007? 2008? Hmm. I'm not sure. Um... So St. North had sent J.J. Brownlee and Stand Up Guy to monitor the area that the cataclysm happened Mm -hmm. because it's 19th of November, 2010, exactly one year after the cataclysm. Mm -hmm. Bag of Bones had told St. North to send them, which which seems bad since he only does things for fate or to ensure reality continues or a plot device or Mm -hmm. something. So when was Watchmen made? Uh, 2009. Oh, that would have been about the same year, but I know yeah. some of these were written like 2008, 2009. Yeah. So someone probably watched like a... <laughs> the trailer and then said, I can do that worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a superhero that sounds a lot like this superhero. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Buy a off wish and then mm. spray paint him. Yeah. Yeah. So JJ and Stand Up Guy are in this like kind of like building or tower or some kind of place, and mm-hmm. they have all these this monitoring equipment um, to like watch the area, and they can see where Muerto had like blown up, and there's these the shadows in the sky, and and it's creepy and empty and dead and all that stuff. But they're just hanging out and hanging out and hanging out. Nothing happens. Okay, maybe we got past the one year anniversary with nothing happening. Mm-hmm. A huge dust storm comes up where the cataclysm happened, and stand-up guy and JJ try to leave. JJ can fly, so she says, get to the chopper! <laughs> stand-up guy is like, no, I won't leave you! <laughs> They're just in a sandstorm just doing a bit. <laughs> yeah. So they try to leave the building, mm-hmm. and they can't. Mm. A hulking black shape appears. And, like, blasts into, like, through the windows into the little building where they're at. Mm -hmm. It's a skeletal form covered in black and purple spiked armor. And when it blasts through the wall, one of its spikes hits JJ in the chest. And so she's laying there dying. This guy's name is Rex Morte, King of the Dead. Right? Yep. (laughs) He kills stand-up guy with his speed-up time power. So so uh, stand-up guy just turns into bones and then dust and old. Sure. <laughs> Did you ever see the time machine that uh, had... Um, in one of those time machine movies, uh, somebody's trying to get into the time machine and their hand is left in the machine and their body's out. Mm-hmm. So when they go forward in time, their whole body turns into like rotting corpse, dust, and then skeleton and then dust. Yeah. That's what happens to stand up guy. Great. Yeah. Good, so <laughs> JJ is stabbed and dying. And so then she turns into a zombie slave to Rex Mort. He calls up all of the ghosts, bones, and dust of the heroes and villains who had died during the cataclysm and creates a zombie army with them. And they set out to destroy the world. The end of the full book. This was 2008. Bam Bam. Every story within this book happened within 12 months. Does that make any sense at all to you? I don't. I'm not sure if it does or not. I know I don't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was, oh my God, when I realized that they had tried to 
open the book with the cataclysm uh-huh. and end the book with a year later anniversary, yeah. this new bad guy comes. Because none of the stories in the book have Rex Mort coming out and... and or any playing. reference to him. Right. So he, this was obviously, oh, the world is just going to be destroyed now at the mm-hmm. end of the story. Nothing within the book ever mattered. Nothing ever changed. He's just going to lay waste to the world yeah. and Carol kill everything. I, I would think that someone was ridiculous and hopeful enough to think they might get a sequel. <laughs> you know what? This was a self-published book. The authors earned a cent a word and got a copy of the book. And it is... I'm wondering if it even had more than one printing. Uh. Enough to send the book to the authors and maybe offer a couple at an indie bookstore somewhere mm-hmm. near to where the editors lived. Yeah. Um, the the book, book I have was published in 2016. What? But when I was on the <laughs> message board, over and over and over, it was... Uh, Publishing got delayed. Oh, the publisher backed out. Oh, he had he had a heart attack, so he can't publish for us this year. <laughs> These were a self-publishing by an indie knockoff publisher. Oh this was God. his buddy down the road with a printing press, uh, and it was their other best friend who made the cover art. Oh my God. I started to feel bad about making fun of this book because it was so low quality, uh, so indie. It is it is fan fiction written on a message board, printed out. And, and distributed. Mm-hmm. I got this copy from a friend who was also into sci-fi and just wanted a gift to randomly give me at Christmas. And that was what they had that was extra at hand to just pass off on mm-hmm. to me. Which was fine. I appreciate them giving me this awful book. Yeah. But yeah, I will have to put the cover art on... Um, for the podcast, but I ha- you cannot find it on Google. You have to go to their specific... <laughs> Uh, chat room and find the stuff from Reverend Austin, the guy who was like the head of this entire group project, <laughs> and f- search his name mm. in the message board to find his info mm. about all of this stuff and how it happened. I spent too much time trying to go through this and read about it, and I realized I was wasting my life and I didn't <laughs> want to do this anymore. <laughs> but really, uh. you can tell. That this story was written in 2008 uh, during the recession. The book is full of pessimism. Mm-hmm. It was written by probably younger people who were had been middle class, and lost anxious. all their family wealth through mm-hmm. you know the crash and through the loss of property values, all of that stuff. Everyone in it is white. Everyone in it is middle to working class. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark Fairy, Mervyn, and the Reverend were the only black characters. There was just... So little diversity, but if you're just taking the voices from a single message board who are into the same exact things, I'm not surprised at mm-hmm. the lack of diversity in voices yeah. or perspective. Mm-hmm. It's niche marketing mm-hmm. in the in the late 2000s. Grading the book on a whole is like grading a group project where only a couple people really did the heavy lifting and everyone else just called it in. Mm-hmm. So I would probably give it a D plus because a couple of the stories made me laugh. I really, really loved Worm Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that Mervin, uh, Mervin's story was really fantastic. And then some of the other ones were just awful. Mm-hmm. If the editors had actually put the cast list at the beginning of the book, given us the world, established mm-hmm. the world in the first story, right. explained what was going on. This story is written after the cataclysm and these things happened and we hope you enjoy the stories within that world. Mm-hmm. Coming in and telling us what is happening. Yeah. I would have walked in more prepared and more able to enjoy what was there. Mm-hmm. 
I had to do a lot of research and a lot of deep diving to even to pull together to you for you what this world is. <laughs> uh, so what you're saying is you're a fan. No. <laughs> what I'm saying is I am that um, A-type personality who wants to go in and fix their project for them and fucking do it right this time and pick these two authors and have them write a story, goddammit. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was actually, it was not bad like for a fun ride. Mm. Um... It could have been improved. It could have been done better. It's sad it was not. Mm. But, you know, and over the years, I have read a lot of anthologies of short stories. I grew up reading those dime a dozen short story sci-fi little booklets that you could order like a magazine that mm -hmm. came out quarterly. And those were super popular in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. I would find them for 10 cents at the library sale, the yeah. book sale. And I would read those suckers all the time. Some of my favorite short stories came out of those. Mm. There was a lots of awful short stories in those, too. But that's what I was walking in expecting. Right. This was not Isaac Asimov's short story collection. Yeah. This was a message board printed on paper. Yeah, boy. So who's your favorite character? I'm, I'm betting it was Worm Woman. I really loved Worm Woman. I love saying, Goat Man! Uh, <laughs> I hate Goat Man. <laughs> um, Probably my favorite character was Pucalus. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, mm. Worm Woman was written really well. I really mm. loved her perspective. I was really sad that none of the characters really gripped me or gave me a reason to cheer for them. Mm -hmm. And her, the only reason is because I felt sympathy for her as a cancer patient and mm -hmm. trying to retire and leave her old job. Yeah. And you're really given her perspective as a woman and her physical ailments. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as, like, you know... She is a villain. She helps go murder people. So mm -hmm. she's not a good person. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she was the best written and and the most enjoyable story to read. Mm -hmm. Who did you hate the most? Was Goatman the was was solid? Goatman. It was absolutely Goatman. <laughs> I might have like a, a, a sneaking uh, love for Marvin. Mm-hmm. You'll have to read that one. Yeah, now that we've gotten to. through this, you might have to read a couple of those yeah. that are good. Because <laughs> they really, since you've you've been to um, Rebirth of Farmer, you've mm -hmm. seen the worst. Maybe you, <laughs> oh, you that one was definitely it. the worst. <sighs> it's a tie between that and Gunpowder two thousand, the Gunpowder mm -hmm. Plot two thousand, because that one was trying so hard to be a political intrigue story, mm -hmm. and it did not work, and it was so long and so tedious mm. and so random it made me insane mm. it was definitely just just awful just so awful <sighs> well we've made it through to the other side yep and i really hope our um biblio freaks geeks and lovers enjoyed this terrible anthology called no more heroes edited by wayne goodchild and bill tucker mm. <sighs> I want to do a quick thank you to Jay for being our tech support and cheerleader, Lily for listening to our ideas, Bam Bam for editing and research, and thank you listeners for joining us today for the worst stories the world has to offer. We'll be back next week with, uh, oh, whatever I decide to read this week, who cares? Hopefully it's better than this. It can't possibly be worse. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Biblio Freaks, Geeks, and Lovers, for joining us today. Send your Biblio recommendations to bibliorex at gmail.com. We are at Bibliorex on Patreon and all the socials. Thank you for all the bad books and the good laughs. Goodbye.